Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, October 11th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Republican and Democratic candidates for Mississippi governor go head-to-head in Hattiesburg. We'll have the recap. Then the first ever State of Childhood Obesity Report shines a bright light on a staggering problem in Mississippi. And we'll talk to the Special Olympics of Mississippi just in time for the start of their fall games. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The two major party candidates for Mississippi governor traded barbs over campaign contributions, highway funding, health care and more during a one hour debate at the University of Southern Mississippi last night. The debate was hosted by WJTV. Today, we'll hear from both candidates on three major issues, teacher pay, Medicaid expansion and infrastructure. In addition to Democratic Attorney General Jim Hood and Republican Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves, you'll also hear WJTV and Anchor Byron Brown and WREG anchor Greg Hurst. Early in the debate, the question was teacher pay. Both candidates have introduced plans to bring the average pay for Mississippi teachers up to the southeastern average. The first to answer was Republican Tate Reeves. The reality is that over the last five years, we've increased teacher pay in 2014. We increased it again in 2015. We increased it again in 2019. All told, that was about $4,000 per uh, teacher. Uh, what I have proposed, and actually just proposed yesterday down in Gulfport with a large number of teachers standing behind me, was an additional $4,300 increase that would get us to the southeastern average. Now, I have a history of, of, of fiscal responsibility, and I have told the, the people of Mississippi, I'm not just going to, in a political campaign, make promises that I can't keep. We've actually studied it. We've looked at the numbers, and we believe we can do $1,500 again next year. We can do 1000 in year two and year three, and then we can do $800 uh, in year four, which would be a $4,300 increase, uh, which would get us to the southeastern average. But I will tell you, even then, we're not going to be paying our teachers what they're worth because they're doing great work in the classroom. And what we ought to be talking about is not only teacher pay, but also improving student outcomes. We'll have to leave it right there. Thank you very much. So, Mr. Hood, can you explain in greater detail why you believe your plan is both different and better than Mr. Reeves? You take 60 seconds. Uh, You know, Tate skewing the facts. Uh, The teachers, if you do average teacher pay, that is the scale that you do any job. Average teacher pay in Mississippi, from 2012 to today, they're making $900 less, not any 8,000 more. 
In fact, you know, just in election year, he decides that he's going to have give them five hundred dollars, and they ought to be happy with five hundred dollars. Well, if but for those in the legislature that are pro-education, they upped it to fifteen hundred dollars. But we need to do more. We need to get them to the southeastern average, and then and then raises every year have those uh, guaranteed in. Because what happens is the teacher of the year is right here, uh, Jessica Burns. Uh, a teacher year, Lamar County, she spent $2,000 about every year out of her own pocket to pay for supplies. And those teachers are dedicated to helping our children, and they deserve that kind of pay. And, and, and just these election year annex of coming up with these, these uh, 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 so-called uh, paid-for raises just don't, don't, don't meet the burden of uh, proof. Medicaid expansion has long been a controversial issue in Mississippi. The state hasn't participated in the expansion that started with the Affordable Care Act. Although many Republicans have recently been willing to consider variations on expansion, some have not. In this question, the candidates talk about their ideas for health care, starting with Democrat Jim Hood. Well, we've been turning down a billion dollars uh, a year. Tate Reeves has turned down $5 billion uh, that the federal government has offered us. And that's to keep our rural hospitals open. Five have closed on his watch. Five are in bankruptcy. You know, we've got to fix the problems, and the hospitals have provide, will provide the funding the states match. It won't cost us anything. It'll cover 300,000 working people. It'll create 10,000 jobs. It will generate $100 million in additional revenue for the state. And so those are things that, that we can fix. And the reason that we haven't done those things in our state is because of one of the health care companies, for example. They, they gave him $262,000 to kill a bill that the Hospital Association got passed out of the House and got to the Senate and never got a hearing in committee because of those kind of campaign contributions. That is what's happened in our state, that, that they've taken over our legislature, and, and it's time for the working people to take it back. Mr. Reed, you have said that you will not expand Medicaid, period, no matter what you call it. So what do you say to voters like Kayla? Well, let me first say, Byron, to you and Greg, it doesn't matter if you give him 30 seconds or 60 seconds or an hour and a half. He ain't going to answer the questions that you ask. He's just going to attack me. And the reason he's just going to attack me... Uh, the reason he's going to attack me is because he doesn't want to talk about his liberal policy ideas that he wants to bring to Mississippi. I'm opposed to Obamacare expansion in Mississippi because while the Attorney General talks about various things, what he doesn't tell you is it's going to cost $220 million per year to expand Obamacare in our state. And the reality is I have a health care plan that's going to help bring not only affordability but also accessibility to health care in rural parts of our state. That's what we have proposed. We stood with the State Medical Association, and we have proposed having more physicians throughout the state. We have already spent $68 million on a new medical school. We believe we need more rural physician scholarship programs. We need uh, more residency programs in places not named Jackson, places like Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And we also believe that we need more telemedicine because we're a leader uh, in that in our you. state. Thank you, Mr. Reed. With hundreds of bridges in disrepair and many miles of road and highways riddled with potholes, it's no wonder the subject of infrastructure came up during last night's debate. In previous years, the Mississippi Economic Council had estimated it would take hundreds of millions of dollars each year to bring the state's roads and bridges up to speed. Here, the candidates talk about their infrastructure plans, starting with Republican Tate Reeves. During the 2018 special session, uh, the legislature chose to invest $1.2 billion more 
in infrastructure across our state. Now, the Mississippi Economic Council, I think we can all agree, was the primary uh, advocate for spending more money on roads and bridges. And we, they asked for between 300 and $350 million. The $225 million a year uh, is what ultimately was decided. We were able to do that without raising anybody's taxes. The first $250 million uh, of that tranche has already been allocated, and we're going to fix 375 bridges across the state. They're already under contract, already being fixed uh, throughout Mississippi. That's a good first step. We got more work to do. We have to continue to find ways to invest more money in infrastructure because infrastructure is a core function of government. But if I'm elected governor, we're going to do it without raising anybody's taxes. The Attorney General would like to raise the gas tax. That's a fact. We don't need to raise anybody's taxes for infrastructure. Thank you very much, sir. Mr. Hood, let's hear from you. How would you seek to gain more revenue to improve the state's roads and bridges. Take 60 seconds. We we agree on one thing, that we don't need any more taxes. We just have to go back and get the money he's given away. The reason, any y'all remember in our life... Any of y'all remember in our lifetimes 400 bridges being out? I remember back in the 60s and 70s, people out there watching on TV, we don't have never had 400 bridges out. This is a situation that has been created on, on his watch because he gave our money away. He gave away $7 billion in, in, in uh, ta- tax cuts and contracts and so many things. So uh, the legislature, they have been ready to vote for a road bill to maintain our highways for five years. He choked that off. I go over to the legislature. On the floor of the House or the Senate, they'd come up to me. A lot of them were Republicans. And they put their arm around my shoulder and they'd go, you know, me and my family are for you, but don't you tell it. And because they were supporting me to run because they knew I was going to do a road bill. And so the, the votes will be in the legislature. We will do a road bill first thing. But where we're going to start is at the swamp he built that $7 billion that, that uh, he's, he's uh, given away and it's cost us that kind of money. The candidates, Republican Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves and Democratic Attorney General Jim Hood. We also heard WJTV anchor Byron Brown and WREG anchor Greg Hurst. Voters go to the polls on November 5th. And remember, there is another opportunity to hear the two top party candidates debate. It's Monday evening at WCBI in Columbus, and you can hear it here on MPB Think Radio. Coming up, the first ever state of childhood obesity uh, report shines a bright light on a staggering problem in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Owens. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. Join us on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio, where we talk about issues related to health from a woman's perspective. Listen to us on Southern Remedy for Women on Fridays on MPB from 11 to 12. You don't have to be a woman to call in. So we'd love to hear from you. It's the show for women and the people who love them. Listen to us this morning. We'll be taking your calls to answer all your health questions. It's Southern Remedy for Women. This morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. More than half of today's children will be obese by age 35, according to a new report by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. The state of childhood obesity tracks the latest national and state-level data on childhood obesity rates. We are joined by Jamie Bissell of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. She talks about the problem and what's behind it. Nationwide, 4.8 million young young people ages 10 to 17 have obesity, and that's according to the newest national data that we released today. The overall obesity rate for this age group is 15.3%, and that's held relatively steady over the last few years. What's worth noting, though, is that we're still seeing deep and persistent disparities. So 
African-American, Latinx youth are more likely to have obesity than their white and Asian counterparts. And in addition, youth from families with lower incomes are at greater risk than those whose families have higher incomes. Well, so those those two things you just, met, just mentioned means, I guess, that Mississippi did not do well. You know, Mississippi, unfortunately, is... 25.4%, and that's actually the highest rate in the nation. Um, but, you know, I'll say that data is knowledge, and I think knowledge is power, and this data does not necessarily have to be the destiny. I think we're all on a path and a journey here, and there are bright spots throughout the nation in every single um, state. And so there is a lot that can be done, and we are i um, really thrilled to be releasing for the first time the state of childhood obesity. And it's a report that collects the best available data on obesity, recommends a whole series of policy steps that states and localities can take to prevent obesity, and really highlights some pretty extraordinary and inspiring stories from local leaders and communities that are taking action. So there is a lot to be done. What is behind the obesity epidemic among youth, among all of us in the United States? Again, there is not sort of one single factor here. It is a a host of, of variables. So the differences that we continue to see by race, by ethnicity, by socioeconomic status and geography did not happen by chance. They are really the result of discriminatory policies and systems that have been in place for decades. Having said that, I'll say that we all have the power to change these outcomes and really make our nation a much more equitable society. And the more that we understand the barriers to good health, I think the more we can do to address them. Does it start with education? Education is certainly a piece of it. I think um, education... I think advocacy, I think um, ensuring that we have policies and environments that are supportive for, you know, people and kids and families to thrive and to be able to access healthy, affordable foods and to be able to recreate and be active in safe places in the, the communities that reside in. Mississippi is the poorest state in the country. Getting fresh foods, which tends to be more expensive, is a challenge to those who are who live in poverty. What's the answer there? There is no silver bullet here. I think it's about enlightened leadership, recognizing where critically important resources need to be deployed. I think it's, you know, the responsibility of all of us and all of the settings that touch kids' lives to ensure that we are providing, you know, accessible, affordable, healthy foods and, and opportunities to be physically active. So we all have a role to play here, and preventing obesity is going to require leadership at all levels of government, whether that's federal, state, and local, to take action to help all kids grow up healthy. Um, certainly there are, you know, huge barriers, but I'd say that there are also um, incredible bright spots. In taking action, what, for instance, could the Mississippi legislature do to impact obesity? I'll say a few things there. I think that state policymakers need to be allowing cities and counties in their states the flexibility to regulate, tax, or enact strong legislation related to children's health and healthy communities at the federal level. The U.S. Department of Agriculture should be rescinding proposed changes to the SNAP program, which is our food stamp program that would cause millions of participants to lose their benefits, nearly 
one-third of children ages four and under participate in SNAP in a given month and receive those benefits and, and benefit from it. In addition, we need to maintain high nutrition standards for school meals that were in effect prior to December 2018, and we've now seen some backsliding there. And so we need to retain, maintain, support the highest nutrition standards in schools. And then as USDA is considering revisions to the food package within the WIC program, which is the, the supplemental nutrition program for women, infants, and children, all those recommendations should be scientifically based. So I think there's a lot that could be done, you know, at the state level, um, at the federal level, and then, of course, being supportive of innovation at the local level. Why isn't obesity simply a matter of personal accountability? Especially with our children, the personal responsibility argument completely falls apart. The choices kids and families make depend on the choices they have. And so policies at all levels have a huge impact on whether a parent or a caregiver can buy healthy foods in their neighborhoods or whether a child gets a healthy meal or a snack in childcare or in school. So policies shape whether or not there's a safe place for kids to be active. So when we make policy changes that better support health, then it's easier for everyone to make the healthiest choice. If a parent or caregiver is overweight or obese, does that mean their child is more likely to be overweight or obese? On some level, certainly, you know, genetics plays a role here, but um, your zip code is far more important than your genetic code. Um, and so I'll, I'll say that. Is there a place, Jamie, where people can see this report? Absolutely. So we are encouraging everybody to go to www.stateofchildhoodobesity.org. It's the first ever uh, report and website that includes the best available data on national and state rates, policies that can help address the epidemic, and some really inspiring stories about local communities taking action. So again, that's stateofchildhoodobesity.org. Jamie Bissell is the Senior Program Officer at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you so much. Coming up, we'll talk to the Special Olympics of Mississippi just in time for the start of their fall games. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Get your MPB car tag anytime. It doesn't even have to be up for renewal. Simply go to your county office to sign up. When you get an MPB car tag, a portion of the fee helps MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. For details, visit mpbonline.org slash car tag. We'll see you on the road. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. From swimming to golf, horseshoes to soccer, Special Olympics Mississippi, uh, people with developmental disabilities gives them the opportunity to compete in the sports they love. This year's fall games are starting today in Hattiesburg. We're joined by Special Olympics Mississippi Executive Director Monica Daniels and softball player Aaron Shawa. Daniel starts by talking about the impact of the organization. Special Olympics Mississippi has been around for 50 years. Um, 
the movement itself has been around nationally for 50 years, a little shy maybe in Mississippi, but not by much. And Eunice Kennedy Shriver, the founder of Special Olympics, actually came to Mississippi in 1965 and visited Ellisville State School. And then once we were on our feet and hosted our first ever state-level games on the campus of University of Southern Mississippi, she came back as a fan in the stands. Do you have four games a year? We used to. We have we keep we keep adding games, which is great. It's great for our athletes. This weekend, we have our state fall games uh, at Camp Shelby, and uh, we will be playing softball, soccer skills, horseshoes, and croquet. We will be going to Camp McCain in November to do flag football and cheer. So that's why we keep adding state games. Erin, you are on the softball team. How long have you been playing softball for Special Olympics? Since '09. And you play third base. Have you always played third base? Yes. Is your strength fielding or hitting? I think both. How long have you been a fan of softball? Since '09. Do you participate in any of the other sports? Yes. Which ones? Bowling and equestrian. But this weekend, you'll just be doing the softball. Is that right? Yes. What do you like most about Special Olympics? Well, what I like about Special Olympics is it's a great motivation in in helping meeting friends. They're a good role model, and they're a great inspiration to be around. And ever since I met Ms. Shriver, she's been a good inspiration to me. Monica, how many different sports or competitions are there? So across the state of Mississippi, uh, we offer 19 competitive sports. And then those are divided up among our state-level games that we have. So, like I said, these are our fall games. Flag football and cheer will be in November. We also, in November, will have a unified flag football event, uh, the Unified Egg Bowl. So we capitalize (laughs) on the Ole Miss-Mississippi State rivalry because both of those colleges, universities, excuse me, are certified ESPN Special Olympics colleges. So they have a Bowl. In March, we have standalone basketball, and in the summer, we have our big summer games in Keesler, where we offer up to 10 sports, and you compete every year at Keesler. You bowl, right? Yes. So you vary how you compete. Do you compete equestrian at some of the games? November. In November. When it's cold. <laughs> it'll be it'll be well it's in Hattiesburg so we don't know if it's going to be cold or not but the first weekend in November wouldn't go outside <laughs> it could be cold <laughs> it is our she is, is correct is also our state level equestrian tournament all of your games are tomorrow how many athletes will be yes. at Camp Shelby? So we are looking at close to 600 athletes this year, and that's not including our unified partners who are students, our young adults without intellectual disabilities who come alongside of our athletes and play on teams with them. Then we have AmeriCorps volunteers. We have volunteers from local high schools. Our community partners, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield is 
going to be out there. Southern Healthcare is going to be out there. Trustmark is going to be out there. Sounds like as, you'll have as many support people as you have athletes. Oh, yes, absolutely. And we'll have a full Olympic Village that has a petting zoo and big screen TV set up for football while you can watch in between competitions. Opening ceremonies, we will have an Elvis impersonator to get everybody pumped up. <laughs> um, so we're pretty excited. What time are the ceremonies today? Seven o'clock. For the general public listening, they want to go. Is there a schedule so they know what events they can see and when? Oh, absolutely. So if you just have a valid ID and you turn into the sign that says Camp Shelby, stop at the gate, uh, present your ID and tell them that you are here for Special Olympics Fall Games, uh, they will let you come cheer on our athletes. And we would love for you to do that. When you say valid ID, you mean like a driver's license? Yes. Or, yeah. And uh, again, 7 o'clock tonight. Tonight. For what time do the games start tomorrow? 9 a.m. We have three different softball fields going, okay. and so it just just get there early and grab a seat on the bleachers. All right, sounds wonderful, Monica Daniels. Have some breakfast. Have some breakfast. Have some breakfast. <laughs> Monica Daniels is the executive director of Special Olympics Mississippi, and Aaron Shawa is a athlete. Best of luck. I hope you win. And we play against Vicksburg. Again, every year. Well, I don't want to slight Vicksburg, but because I've met you, I hope you win. Thanks so much for being here, both of you. Thanks, Karen. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.